Welcome to episode 143 of the Startup Show. Today we are here in Zurich and I'm talking to the CEO and co-founder of Testing Time, Reto, and we're talking about entrepreneurship, we talk about testing time, but we also talk about various investors here in Switzerland. And last but not least, we talk about MVPs and how to hire and fire. Make sure to stay tuned. Welcome to episode 143 of The Startup Show. Today we are here in Zurich and I'm very excited to meet with the CEO and founder, Reto. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Cedric. Reto, you're the CEO and founder of Testing Time. I'm very excited to be here. I'm one of the more established startups here in Zurich. As usual on The Startup Show, you get about two minutes to introduce yourself to my audience. My name is Reto. I originally studied um, computer science. Yes in Rapperswil. After um, my studies, I went to Lausanne, mm -hmm. um, joined the first startup there called um, Singularis. It was like in the TV recommendation space. It was a victim of dot-com bubble burst. So that thing lasts one and a half years. But luckily I got a job in San Francisco, in Silicon Valley, basically right before the bubble burst. And mm -hmm. so after I left that startup in Lausanne, I moved to San Francisco and the company there was um, Varian Medical Systems. Mm -hmm. I um, worked there for about five years. After a while, kind of got bored working there. So I started my first startup there together with Remy Blattler from Supertex. Yeah. He was at the same time living in New York, me there, and we started a startup called Accelery. It was like a collaboration service for Microsoft Excel, which then was wiped away when Google started to do um, Google spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, so after that failed, I came back to Zurich, joined Doodle as yeah. a product manager. They just raised their first round. I had the chance to um, join them as the very first employee. That was a really great um, experience and success story. And while I was there, I really got into user experience, I developed my big passion, studied besides my job there, um, again in Rapperswil and Basel, as a, um, uh, did a master in human-computer interaction design. And when I left Doodle, I discovered the idea um, for testing time, yeah. that everyone talks about user-centric design, but nobody really lives it the mm -hmm. way <laughs> it should be. And I realized one of the big problems is it's really hard to get test users right. involved into your design process. How did you evolve from being a product guy, Doodle, to an entrepreneur and into entrepreneurship? What was this moment of spark where you said like, that was the moment where I said like, okay, I have to start my own thing. Mm -hmm. I think I had this even before Doodle. When I was in San Francisco, I already felt it um, that I start my own company, my own startup. Um, there it failed or, I mean, the, the big corporations got into the same space. So I kind of failed and then I felt like maybe I need to take a step back in order to get too forward. Yeah. There was uh, this great opportunity at Doodle. I wasn't founder, but I was mm -hmm. at the early or the first employees, I could shape it a lot and learn a lot from them um, while we went through the whole company build-up. And then this kind of prepared me to go back again to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. so. We saw, um, and a couple, I think one of your friends told me, you one of the earliest uh, things, let's say, that you developed was an app. Uh, based on your uh, passion, I, I heard, for Windows Phone, again, at some points, <laughs> there, there was still one fan left that really loved the uh, Windows Phones. But you, you developed 
an app, a memory training app. What was that like about? <laughs> so I tried to leave this away <laughs> from my journey, Nothing, but now anything. you bring it up. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, actually, when I left Doodle, I did something in between yes. um, before I discovered the idea of testing time. It was called Remember the Name. Inspired by Doodle's like mass customer base, I felt like I want to do something for also for the masses, and I was always really bad with names, mm -hmm. remembering names. I could go to conferences, and I knew all these people, but Not every time the same thing, then I thought, well, I want to solve this with a, a memory app, and I got together with some memory trainer. He does this professionally, and I thought this great combo, and then we developed the first take on the app, and then it didn't get anywhere. People always liked the idea, but when it came down to practicing um, this, people were just too lazy. And I almost gave it up when I discovered this Microsoft and Nokia contest. So they sponsored 20,000 euro to build a Windows phone app. And I had a Windows phone and I was like, well, let me try one last time. <laughs> Maybe on a native app, this thing performs better. So I went... <laughs> to actually Helsinki, they yes. invited me there, it was all dark and we had to build this Windows Phone app. It was actually a, a nice app, but it didn't get me any further. <laughs> so, and then afterwards, I just gave up on the on whole this. thing. Okay, and good. also on the Windows Phone, by the way. Right. Okay, good, so now you're an Android <laughs> iPhone? No iPhone. no iPhone. Okay, very good. Um, okay, testing time, let's talk about testing time. Maybe mm -hmm. give us a short pitch so everybody in my audience is on the same page. Nowadays, if you run a service or you sell a product, it's really important that you build a product which customers love. And in order to do that, people pull in people um, very early in the design process to mm -hmm. test prototypes, to learn and understand what kind of makes them love the product and is it easy to use. And to do that, you need test users representing your target mm -hmm. audience. We basically provide a service where you can go online and say, I need 10 people matching this profile next Thursday to come to my office. And then we match the right candidates, we schedule them, we make sure they go there and then the customer does their studies tests, whatever, and at the end, when everything went successful, we pay them for participating. Mm -hmm. We are in a rollout process across Europe, so we are Switzerland, Germany, Austria. Uh, we also launched in the UK, we will launch in France, starting with Paris next year, and really scale it across Europe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is your business model behind it? It's like, in a way, Uber for yeah. test users. We just match the right candidates with the customers and make sure this session is going to appear. And we charge the customer and about 30% of what we charge, we hand over to True. the test users as right. an incentive. When you build a marketplace like what you're doing right now, there's always like the chicken and egg issue. Mm -hmm. um, what are you building first? Um, what did you do in your case? Um, and what mm -hmm. was the solution for, for your problem? So when we started, because I had two startup fails, I yes. promised myself I'm not going to code this anything until I have proof of concept. So yeah. I built a very small MVP, basically a landing page, which I had um, done by uh, Upworker. Yeah. And I used a order form, I used um, a survey tool, and I kind of styled it um, in a way that it looks like an order form. And that's it, there was no line of code. And with that, we acquired the first 
customers. We didn't have a single test user behind the scene. We made the claim we have 20,000 because it was sort of the number which makes you appear, yeah, you have a good amount of test users. But what we did with the very first orders back 2013, um, when we tried the concept, yes, we went into our network and found the people. So. Mm -hmm. Then orders went up and so we started to build up the pool because we couldn't just go with every order and yes. uh, talk to our friends. But that was really the MVP phase. You have always like supply and demand has to be in balance, you know, but usually you start with the customer and as soon as you get demand, you kind of start building up the pool so yeah. you can deliver and then this whole thing goes on. Right. Um, okay, and um, when you look at the roadmap, uh, let's say since I think June 2018, um, I saw online that you raised a round of 2.8 million through Investire. What's interesting about Investire is that you have like an equity crowdfunding uh, platform, mm -hmm. uh, but you also raised money from Mike, who I guess you know from Doodle, mm -hmm. and from Post and the Zürcher-Kanten mm -hmm. How do you see the differences between, let's say, let's say a regular investor, a private investor, such as Mike, mm -hmm. VC, um, as let's say the tech hobby and the Post, and then you have also, let's mm -hmm. say, Investire equity crowdfunding, mm -hmm. which is a nice overview yeah. of like you have, you had it all. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, we did the first round or a round before that 2.8 yeah. million that was in 2015 when we decided and this is no longer a project, let's go all in now. We did that also through Investire. Actually everyone, even Mike, they kind of invested through that platform. They didn't like directly okay. come to us because that was just uh, the deal. Everyone has to be pulled together through yeah. Investire. That's how they work. And only with the second round, we got institutional investors like Zekobi mm -hmm. and um, Post. Honestly, behind even institutional um, investors, there are great people. Um, Post and Zekobi, they, they're really helpful and they mean it well for you. It's yeah. just about placing money. I always thought for them it's just placing money and build up a portfolio. But no, these people care, whether mm -hmm. private people or um, the people behind these institutional investors. And uh, because we went through Investir, we have... Uh, quite a big um, cap table, but there's a lot of wisdom of crowd behind that. If you need help or so, you can write them and you always get someone reply with a new hint or idea and I'm really happy with that. Even if it sounds like logistically difficult mm -hmm. to handle so many um, shareholders, but we have had luck so far and, and they were really, really helpful. When you look at, let's say, the, the trends in the market research vertical, um, mm -hmm. what, what would you say, let's say, number one, when is the right moment to, let's say, start using your tool? Mm -hmm. And number one, what is, let's say, your vision in 10, mm -hmm. 15 years? I mean, first of all, we are positioned primarily in the user experience um, sector. And market research is actually a secondary pillar or a secondary um, market for us. Mm -hmm. Um, just because we started the whole thing, we came out of the user experience field and the market researchers also see the benefit and they come more and more, but they kind of think and work a bit different. That's why there's not always a great match on how we mm -hmm. do provide the service. But what I see is in the old days, there was only market research, right? Starting like mid like 2005, um, when Apple really um, disrupted the market with great user experience, the whole world became aware of user experience. And so suddenly companies started to build up user experience teams. So this became sort of a new field, a new discipline within the company. And about five 
years later, starting with 2010, suddenly like um, innovation labs came up. So suddenly mm -hmm. companies also not just wanted to get the user experience right, but also really through the digital transformation, the whole idea about innovation and management and how can we disrupt um, going forward. So basically we have market research, user experience and innovation labs mm -hmm. and all three of those are interesting to us. It's always good to position yourself in one um, segment to are well known for that and then you start to expand into the other fields. Right. Yeah. And you ask where does it go in 15 years? Um, I think the classic market research, um, they still have the highest, <laughs> biggest budgets yes, actually, yes. but it's slowly flowing into this um, user experience and innovation segments. They are kind of transforming. They're also struggling a bit with their um, way they work. For the next five years, the three of will exist, but I think there will emerge be happening. And mm -hmm. I think market research will become a, a little bit more irrelevant than the others. The others will grow. Right. That's what I believe. So one of the things I'm curious to know, especially for a company that is like, you know, let's say well-established since 2015, you are on the market, or let's say running within your startup. One of the challenges that I heard about, let's say, testing time and whether it's true or not is not even relevant, is about, let's say, organizational challenges, like within mm. the company. What were your learnings and mm. how do you deal with it? Well, there are phases, right? So when you start, you're just founders. Yeah. And after some point, you get your first employees, mostly when you get your first financing round done. At the beginning, it's all very easy. Um, <laughs> you're founders only and very first employees. You're a small team, five to max 10 people. It doesn't bring a lot of problems um, people-wise because everyone knows everyone. Mm -hmm. You know what everyone is working on. But then when you go beyond 10 people, so what we went through this year, I kind of underestimated that when you add on people, now we are past 20. Suddenly you need processes, you, <laughs> you need like rules for certain things, you know, and it's not suddenly like obvious for everyone because when you start, it's always obvious because you build everything together and mm -hmm. suddenly you need to train people in certain things. And that was quite a, a mindset change. Mm -hmm. um, we even now just hired a um, HR person because we believed too difficult for founders to handle the whole HR, yeah. um, make sure people are happy, they um, have a plan how they can grow in this company. And it's sort of also a neutral person for them. So it was definitely a challenging year, doubling the team, mm -hmm. but we are now stable again. and. Now we are ready for 2019 with this team. It was like turbulent. And when you look at the Zurich startup ecosystem, especially with your background from the Silicon Valley, Doodle, some, one of the most successful startups mm -hmm. uh, coming from Switzerland, what are your impressions here? What can be improved? You know, people always believe Silicon Valley is like everything is like uh, great there and everything goes um, automatically. It's not true. It's, uh, it's actually a really tough place. And what I realized during my time building Accelerate there is you need to know people. Such a big ocean of people there and it's really hard to meet the right people. You can go every day to startup events and meetups and or even there you always meet the same people but they are not like those who bring you further. Yes. It's very hard. In Switzerland it's easier to have an overview to make yourself a name but 
once you kind of establish this, it's much harder to to scale. You mm -hmm. know, going to Germany for Swisscom is it's it's still quite easy, but to go to the UK much harder because um, in the US if so much common ground there from state to state, it's much easier to to to, to roll out. Mm -hmm. But to really get somewhere to get started to bootstrap something, I believe it's much harder because it's. So so more competitive in, in, in the US, in the oh, US, here. in the Silicon Valley. Okay. Here, no. Here you can just start. I think it's easier to meet the right people. And if you're persistent enough, they start to trust in you and invest in you. But it's much more, I mean, to oversee the place here in Zurich is much easier than an entire Silicon Valley. How are you making sure to be a good leader? To maintain a feedback culture, I have weeklies with um, most of the people here in the team. To read books, um, I have a coach which also reflects me um, from the outside. So these are the three things I do. What's your most memorable startup moment? When we crossed the one million revenue mark. So that was that was the moment. Yeah, that was um, a great achievement. You know. Um, I mean, it always like it's a great achievement. It's like first, it's how do we get the first hundred thousand, quarter million, but one million, it feels quite good. So yeah. you've built something meaningful, actually. Yeah, so. I guess. How do you achieve and maintain a balanced life? Part is the coach again. I mean, this is something I want to improve now because you can easily get lost in work, 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 especially when I don't stop at night. How do you keep your productivity high? First of all, I follow part of the recommendations of David Allen, Getting Things Done book. So Zero Inbox is one of my credos or things I maintain. Block out time every day. I'm reading actually at the moment the book called Deep Work because I believe most of us do a lot of shallow work, always getting distracted and you never reach deepness in what you do. I want to implement that more thoroughly into my um, work week to really, when I have to do something, I can really sink deep without always mm -hmm. getting dragged out. And I think this will tremendously improve my productivity. Mm -hmm. And the last one, what do you consider success in life? That's shifting. You know, when we started this, I always believe building a company and sell it will be the big achievement. I mean, we're still open once we have established a really good, well-running company to sell it eventually. But for me at the moment, it's really nice to see to get in every morning and see like 20 people here really motivated to want to change something, have yes. an impact and to work with those people. That's already a success for me. And I'm really happy I can do that and in a way help build it, you know, um, together with Oli, my co-founder. Mm -hmm. That's already a success. Going forward, eventually, yeah, this thing hopefully is attractive enough to be to, 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 to take an exit. It's also the, the promise we made to our investors. And then basically become a um, sort of financial investor or maybe start something new or invest in things which I really like <laughs> and in a way give back. But I love startups. I love the idea of creating something. Yes. And that drives me really. So the last part of the interview is where you give all the people out there some advice, some practical advice, maybe something that you wish you knew 20 years ago. Follow the lean startup approach, build an MVP, fake it to make it, don't code. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, and validate that you have actually something meaningful. You can save a lot of time and money. <laughs> um, yeah, because the previous startups, I, I developed a lot of code just to find out nobody cares. Yeah. And that's the first thing. So MVP, you can build this within a couple of days. Um, the second thing, when you hire people, um, listen well to your gut feeling. If there is a doubt that something doesn't feel right, rather don't do it. And if you still go ahead and you realize that was a wrong hire, then cut it better sooner than later. Because mm -hmm. every time um, you have to, to let go of someone, the only thing which is said, like, we should have done this earlier. Mm -hmm. But be wise when you select candidate and it really has to feel right. Even the slightest doubt, just don't do it. Okay, Reto, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much, everybody who tuned in today for episode 143 of The Startup Show. Have a great day.